Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good buddies Richard Hello. and Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael are... Did you say Richard? Richard. Or Richard. I think I said Bruddies, too. I've got yeah. to elect Dr. Steve Brule. <laughs> uh, the Mount Rushmore podcast. Um, here we are. Uh, this topic is exciting because Richard yeah. and Michael Howdy. are going What's to... What's happened here? <laughs> we're caught in a loop. Are going to discuss the Mount Rushmore of singers singing about other singers in their songs. Yeah. yeah. Well, what... Uh, what what provoked this, Michael Winfield? Uh, I have a particular song that did make my list that uh, rock and roll at some point, you know, it's it's a tale, it's a snake that's trying to eat its own tail. At some point, the history of music comes back to be the thing of why you're singing. Yeah. Like at some point, it seems with some artists, it's not just about singing songs about happiness or sadness or mm-hmm. love, but eventually... Um, some artists sing about their influences, their aspirations, yeah. or just what have you. I think that this is just a topic that has – there's so many different aspects to when someone is singing about another artist. Maybe they're singing about a current artist. Maybe they're singing about someone from their past or a past memory or a so- particular song. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love the that this is such a wide open area yeah. of like – where we can cover, I, I'm not going to guarantee that we don't have the same picks, but it seems doubtful that we would have the same yeah. choices. And it seems like um, the world at large could pick from a thousand other songs. That mm-hmm. I just think it's so wide open, and I think it speaks to uh, the type of it speaks to the artist that's actually singing, but also the artist that they're singing about yeah. a little bit. The the genre of music and the form of rock being in really its infancy compared to other forms i think lends itself to this because artists in this genre often cut their teeth doing covers of other songs so picasso didn't do necessarily a cover of a painting by uh rembrandt or or somebody but they might have learned from them but a uh, the beatles did chuck berry songs and so it almost seems like mentioning that artist is almost the next logical step. So Yeah, and sometimes it's probably like it could be like a stepping point to whatever they're doing next, or maybe it's at the end of their career where they're looking back. And yeah. I don't know. Do we include the British uh, trend? And I think this isn't an example necessarily. Candle in the Wind is not necessarily an example of that, but there, there are a lot of tribute songs, I think, in Europe. Hmm. Uh, so that that is... Uh, it's almost an entire kind of subgenre into itself. We'll I see guess if some of those come up. I guess I, I wouldn't. Sure, why not? Yeah. Okay. Tribute, okay. Tribute song. What, like cool. Candle in the wind. You said, but that's not about. Well, um, the. I, I guess it it is about. Johnny Halliday would do some songs that were about, uh, other artists like the, the French Elvis. The French Elvis. John, yeah, the French Elvis. He was also the French Bob Dylan. He, he was <laughs> the French he, everything. He had to be. He was the French Jimi Hendrix for a while because he was the only French guy doing it. So. Uh, but yeah, they would do songs t- uh, as t- often to film stars and things like "Don't Don't We Love This Person." Just mm. kind of like um, American Pie was a little bit of a historical hat tip to so many different characters, but mostly um, Buddy Holly. That was a song that was on my list for a little while, and then I was like, "Eh, this is kind of just about nostalgia." They kind of just general. name check him in the 
in the chorus. It's not actually yeah. about mm-hmm. him. Although, I, though, reading about it, I guess the day the music died didn't come into existence until after he sung. Right. Like that, that, the ver- term? that term didn't oh. arise until he, till uh, well, yeah, Don Headley started. Um, well, the Don song. Uh, no, who, uh, uh, Buddy Holly had a song called That'll Be the Day That I Die. Don McLean. Don McLean, thank you. Who would I say? He said Don Henley from the Eagles. Okay. Whatever. That would have been weird. I think he's, he's riffing on uh, That'll Be the Day When I Die in Miss American Pie. So this will be the day that I die. I guess so. Yeah. No, you're probably entirely right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've eaten our tail already. So why don't we go into the topic, and Michael chose it. Richard starts. Are you guys done? Boop. <laughs> that completes the intro of the Mount Rushmore podcast beginning competition now. Okay, so um, my first choice, and you guys, anyone who listens to the podcast knows about my love for the replacements. Oh, yeah. And my love for Big Star. Yes. So it'd be kind of hard for me. I'd be remiss if I didn't do yeah. Alex Chilton okay. by the replacements. Um, an incredible song, probably one of my top five replacement songs of all time, mm-hmm. um, w- was interesting, was reading the uh, biography Trouble Boys by Bob Muir, which mm-hmm. if you're into the replacements, I would highly recommend uh, picking up and checking out. Um, and they talk about the kind of writing and, and, and creation of this song, and partially at least, yes, Paul Westerberg was a big, big star fan and he yeah. wanted to do something sort of as a tribute to Alex Chilton. But at the same time, it was also a very kind of shrewd sort of attempt to try and write a popular song because at that time in college rock and kind of going into indie rock, there were a lot of, there were songs that had been successful that had referenced sort of other musicians who had come before. Yeah. So Westerberg kind of, this is when there was a little bit of a big star resurgence yeah. happening so he thought well i want to go ahead and kind, oh. kind of and he had, they had a relationship before that i think alex chilton had played on at least one song on tim oh okay so they had something of a relationship so it wasn't like a complete mm-hmm. like let me just pick a random guy out of a hat yeah. but it was done at least slightly cynically mm-hmm. was it in new orleans or somewhere out you could go get alex chilton to produce your record just by just go knocking on the door. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. he was he was a producer for hire in New Orleans. I think yeah. that's where he was living. And it just meant he turned on the gear and kind of slept there. Kind of slept through most of it. Yeah. yeah. So he, it's my favorite little bit of any of any song. You know, certain songs have like these little things happening in the background that you mm-hmm. just love. And at some point in the song, Westerberg sings about, you know, if he died in Memphis, that'd be cool. Yeah. And you hear someone immediately go. Hey, <laughs> and I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm like ninety percent sure that's Alex Chilton yeah. saying that, <laughs> hey. which is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and Al- and uh, Paul Westberg actually wrote uh, his obit uh, the obituary for I think in oh, the New did. York Times for uh, oh wow. uh, Alex Chilton and basically talked about how he wanted to die in New Orleans and not Memphis. Yeah, so I was a little bit off on that. Yeah, but and it's it's a really great obituary if you wow. guys want to read it. But you know, it's I think this is an example of an artist trying to pay tribute to and, and even with the slightly cynical nature of it, trying to get awareness for an, an artist who influenced him, who may not have been as successful as they mm. should have been. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty popular genre of artists singing about other yeah. artists. Yeah. Hey, hey, look what I know of. Yeah. There's an element of that. And I think it's a little bit of, of, you know, you guys should check this out too. Mm-hmm. If you think I'm cool, 
check this guy out. Have you ever seen the Tammy show? The mm-hmm. yeah. Tammy TNT show? Yeah. It's it's almost the the hosts are Jan and Dean and they bring out Chuck Berry at the beginning of the show. Chuck Chuck Berry kind of bookends the show or some of his music does. And people unabashedly uh, say, this is the guy who invented all of this stuff that we've been ripping off. So almost each artist, there's one scene where Jerry, I think it's Jerry and the Pacemakers or somebody are doing a back and forth on Maybelline or something like that. Yeah. But it was a moment where some of Rock's most successful, more uh, whitewashed, more Caucasian groups are actually on stage saying, see this guy standing here. <laughs> he's, right. He's, he invented all this stuff. Which is amazing that he was a nostalgia act. And it was yeah. probably 10 years after Maybelline. Yeah. I, I'm amazed at how quickly youth culture uh, transforms. Every six months, there's an entire new thing that we call youth. And there's an entire new youth, youth culture, even even back then. So that I'm not, I'm not surprised that people... Uh, artists at the time didn't know how rock, how long this whole rock thing was going to even last. Right. And uh, knowing that it was very fickle and uh, would, based on like the singles market, it wasn't even like albums, it was like singles. This a hot, a hot single could be gone the next month, and you would never hear that person again. So, but uh, I get, I think some of this could be motivated by how unembarrassed an individual might be to be trading on. Something that was created by somebody else so right. blatantly. Um, oh, I agree. I think that's 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 embarrassed. Probably a good w- way to put it. I think with Big Star and the replacements, I think Westerberg saw a lot of themselves in the replace in, in, in the replacements. I yeah. saw a lot of themselves in Big Star from the standpoint of Big Star was this band that was always this close away to having a big breakthrough. Yeah. And then the record label closes or they can't get the distribution right or yeah. something fucks it up. Somebody leaves the band. Uh-huh. And that's very much how the replacements were, you know, always that half a step away from success and finding a way to uh, finding a way to uh, sabotage. Themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pulling defeat from the mouth of success. They were really good at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think the uh, not to harp on this too much, but the Dan, Dan Wilson also talks about discovering the re- uh big star and then going to see Alex Chilton and seeing that he'd gone from being this uh, obviously like uh, the letter right box tops Mm -hmm. singer so a guy who had had tremendous success before he even had craft yeah when you heard my voice going out that was was my Alex Chilton impersonation so here's a guy who had success before he even had the right to and he sounded like an adult before he even had the, the the years behind him and then turned into this latter-day kind of troubadour. And I think that's when some of uh, the guys like Paul Westerberg and, and Dan and Matt Wilson found him, was this guy doing this ridiculous song and dance act that had nothing to do with his, his, uh, the stuff that they were doing as, the, as big star. Sure. Uh, sorry, okay. Beep. Now, <laughs> Michael Whitfield, what's your first choice? Uh, Sleater Kenny song, I Want to Be Your Joey Ramone. Oh, cool. From nice. the 96 album called The Doctor. Uh, this is a song that is about uh, full-fledged rock and roll ambition and idealism. And um, I don't know if it's biographical by any means, but it is definitely, it has this feeling of I'm in this thing and I want to be as big and iconic or as Joy Ramone was. Yeah, I want to be the person, you know, Corin Tucker is singing. I want to be the person that is 
has your poster on the wall. I want to be the person that you want to come backstage and fuck. I want to yeah. be the person, even not even Joey Ramone too, but she like name checks Thurston Moore too. But this song about this is my Elvis. I yeah. want to be as big as this person as a rock star. And I think that it just speaks to uh, this band or, or Corn Tucker's particular, you know, idealism of what you want to be. Yeah. I want to be as big as Joey Ramone is. And I think that um, that's a concept and like a thing that kind of echoes through a lot, a lot of rock songs. I mean, I don't know how many songs have been sung about being Elvis or yeah. being the Beatles or yeah. whoever, but you know, for a generation, the Ramones were right up there. Yeah. If not more important than, or if, if not like the most important of all punk bands and certainly mm-hmm. is Slater Kenny is a punk band or a riot girl band or whatever you yeah. want to ding them as. Considering the gender that they chose, do they, do they say, uh, Wendy, Wendy O. Williams or, <laughs> or Lydia Lunch or Patty Smythe or anything? That's, I, I don't know. Maybe it maybe it is a taking the reins yeah. back from you know as a all female band taking the reins back from uh, the men and yeah. being a I don't I don't want to be just a female rock star. I want to be yeah a male rock star. Yeah. Male rock stars are just traditionally or historically the, bigger yeah. than the rock star is the guy the guy you want to have sex with. And yeah, they they want those barriers between them as female rock stars. That's ah, cool. That's a cool choice. Uh, oh man, Freddie. All right, so my second choice uh, on a similar vein, but I think t- going in a very different direction. Uh, cool thing by Sonic Youth. Okay. Um, a song written by Kim Gordon after a disastrous interview that she performed with LL or had with LL Cool J for a Spin Magazine <laughs> article. Which, by the way, uh. so pictured the two of them yeah. sitting in a unused uh, recording studio uh-huh. trying to find some sort of common ground. Wow. The interview started out okay. She tried to explain what hardcore punk was to mm-hmm. LL Cool J and yeah. why it's sort of like the people who listen to hardcore also listen to rap a lot of the time because yeah. it's basically outside of the white mainstream and he's like, oh, that's cool. And then we started. they started talking about the role of women in rap and things just went Oh, pretty yeah. pretty yeah. sideways pretty fast yeah. after that yeah so it's it's a it, you can read it online and we'll I'll, if i if i remember i will post a uh-huh. uh, link to it on our social media um it's a train wreck of an interview yeah and so she got done with it and decided well, this may have been a terrible interview but <laughs> it will make a fantastic song nice so she winds up you know in the song it's basically her addressing LL cool j and you know, what are you going to do about the liberation of us women mm-hmm. type thing? And she references being on the radio and walking like a panther and things like that, which kind of are direct shots at L or not shots, but direct references yeah. to LL Cool J. And I think it's just interesting. You, you, the diss track is something that I think you, yeah. you see a lot in rap. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to see a, you know, alt punk rock noise band. Mm-hmm doing a diss track on a rap artist. Mm-hmm. I had that at some point I was starting to make categories and I started to write down diss track as something I wanted to highlight. And then I realized I just, I just don't, I don't have the depth of knowledge to know what would be a Mount Rushmore track. What would be the pinnacle? What would be like the most recognizable, most dissing. the most dissing. And it was just like, ah, I'll move on to something else. I yeah. That's why I went for this. Cause yeah. as a white person, I could really, I, I could, 
I could relate to this a little bit more. But I think it's just interesting. Mean, I mean, it's it's interesting that this wound up being maybe their most well-known song. Mm-hmm. And it really just kind of came from this germ of like a really shitty interview she had with all oh, Cool J. Mm-hmm. My um, second choice is along the same. It's I wouldn't quite call it a diss track. But it is Tenacious D's song Dio, oh, which is a minute and a half mm-hmm. of Tenacious D just telling Dio that he is old and he is done and get off the stage. It's time to pass the torch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Tenacious D have written a lot of really fun, wonderful songs, especially on like that first album that came out. The second, the other ones were kind of eh. fine. Rise of the Phoenix was fine. And they have a new one out that has a couple of silly things on there. But, you know, sometimes your first, your first pass is your best yeah. pass, and you just can't quite relive that magic. And um, Dio is just, I, I think it's my favorite song on the album. It's a minute and a half long, and the lyrics are silly. And it gets, right. it gets all this great guitar stuff from um, uh, KG mm-hmm. in there. As well as, uh, you know, playing into their own mythology, mythology, and their own ego of who this they think this band is. Right. That the, they have the nerve to actually yeah. tell one of the greatest frontmen in heavy metal history, yeah. beat um, it. But I love that there is both this aspect of you're too old to rock, no more rocking to you for you, but uh, we'll take care of you as well. Yeah. We'll take you to the old folks home. We'll make sure everything is fine for you. Just give us the secret sauce. Yeah. And we'll, <laughs> we'll mix it with ours and make a good goulash baby. But I just love that it's it's in and out. It's done in a minute and a half. And you don't and it just it just name checks like this guy that it name checks a guy who is a great front man and great songwriter by someone who is just thinks he is the next great songwriter mm-hmm. right. and the next great front, so, uh, front man. Do you wonder how Dio felt about that. I, I have to think that they had hung out at some point and Dio said, Dio might have acknowledged ageism in, <laughs> in, in music and how he may have acknowledged that uh, his, his kind of getting, getting up there. And he may have given the devil horns yeah. at some point. Maybe, yeah. maybe at some point. You know, he invented that. Um, I love, I just love the line. No more rocking for you. No like more. at some point, <laughs> right? We're just—we've reached the point. You are done. Yeah. You have to get off this. And it's funny because there's almost a time where you want to say that to some people. Mm-hmm. You know, like is Ozzy still being dragged on stage to sing "Crazy Train" and he's 74 years old? Yeah. Right? The Rolling Stones just rolled through here. They were at um, the Rose Bowl. The or Rose Bowl. Like that. And I don't know. Maybe they were still great. Mm-hmm. Maybe you just thought that they were great. I'd, I'd yeah. Let's retirement should be a thing. Yeah. I no more I'm rocking for you. By that, I, I find that really fascinating because I, I do wonder what what is keeping that in that person alive. Is the music keeping them alive? I know Dick Dale performed until he died, and he couldn't. He basically said he couldn't stop because he didn't have the money for his medicine. Or it's like yeah, his <laughs> dialysis yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if he's. Uh, that that's that's a common thread or not? But he, Dick Van Dyke appeared at the D twenty three Expo, and I, I don't know. Is this is this something we should take away from an entertainer? This thing that gives them so much life is that is that what's keeping them going in their later years? And I'm then not saying grind them up into a paste and feed them to the younger. <laughs> wait a again. minute, yeah. but I would also say this is one of the most. Uh, 
cutthroat businesses there is, if there was no space for that person in the industry, they would be gone. Mm. But there has yet to be a new Rolling Stones. Maybe there is just a a moment when you pass into, like I think of D, well, you just said D23, you pass into this legend's status. You become a Disney legend. You're and now it, a nostalgia uh, act. Yeah, you just occupy this space for people that they want to they want the same thing they don't want new things they don't want their artists to write new songs they don't want yeah. a new ozzy osbourne song they want to hear crazy train and that's about it they want to hear the four five, you know it's like it's like when a band it's not quite the space where they're playing at the county fair although i'm sure the, a lot of these a oh, lot yeah. of bands like this kind of move on from you are playing rock shows you are playing arenas you're playing smaller venues you're doing a spot in vegas yeah you're the house act in vegas for a little bit you're at the county fair yeah you're playing every week down on the pier like (laughs) hold on a second check 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 yep you just described cheap tricks career (laughs) nailed it and it's so interesting and like i don't know is cheap chick putting out new music or are they just trending trading on both stuff from Rick Nielsen sells his guitars every city. I think I think when they go play somewhere, he has a guitar sale everywhere. Right. <laughs> hey, take them off my hands. Uh, what well, that seems like we're discussing is some of the subject matter, the homage subject matter that is what happens not in the Kim Deal Sonic Youth song. Kim Gordon. Kim Gordon. Sorry, Kim Gordon Sonic Youth song. But when when we are talking about other musicians, often we're lauding our heroes and the fact that their past glory may be behind them yeah. so yeah uh your past glory is not behind you uh you Look at this guy you King, can attain attain uh celebrity lord lady status god goddess status by going to itunes this, this halftime rolled in here hands-free he was leaning forward the segue was so beautiful he was doing a tour of chicago right yeah. now yeah. by going to uh our mount rushmore uh site on itunes and downloading rating and reviewing past episodes you do us a real solid by giving us a five star but also letting us know what you think about the episodes you could also get in the dialogue with us by going to facebook twitter or instagram and suggesting a future topic other individuals who have done so have actually participated in this podcast. You don't have to, but it's happened. You could also let us know what you think about examples of uh, topics that we've done in past episodes. We'd really love to hear any of that and all of that. And you can help us out by introducing a friend to this podcast. Uh, Just repost the latest episode posting on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter on your site, page, wall, what have you, and let people know about the, uh, the, the glory that is the Mount Rushmore podcast. Do a tribute. When you go. Us. Very good. <laughs> when you're uh, in the office Monday morning, or when you're listening to this Friday morning, and someone's saying, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I'm going to listen to the Mount Rushmore podcast. What's that? What's that? Well, uh, give me that bagel. Get out of my face. <laughs> it's a great podcast. See you later. <laughs> or when you're in a meeting, an important meeting where mm-hmm. you should be listening and taking mm-hmm. notes, uh, have your headphones in mm-hmm. and talk really loud like you can't really under- like your person who has headphones in. You know, I have an idea. What? Uh, get like a portable Bluetooth speaker and just set it up. Go go into the meeting room. It's the uh, you know the, the uh, office. Yeah. A little early. 
put set up the Bluetooth speaker in the corner and just accidentally play it in the middle of the meeting. Yeah. Oops. And then people are like, what's what is what's that? This what's, nonsense. What's going on? Yeah. And then you go like, oh, I know what that is. That's a Mount Rushmore podcast. And they're yeah. like, what? It's a pretty this good is, podcast. We're talking about, you know, uh, third quarter projections right now. And be like, uh, hello, Mount Rushmore podcast. Everybody should listen to it. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Projections Inst- are good. You know what? <laughs> Instant race. Send us your Instagrams of you doing this in a meeting. Yeah. And we will, we will share it. We will share it. <laughs> okay. It is now the third of uh, the third choice from richard all right i'm gonna do this one in german because the german version is always better than the english version meine nachre wall ist rock me amadeus oh wow from the 1985 album falco 3 oh my god also on my list oh my god yeah nice (laughs) wow this is uh, unlike the kim gordon lo cool j beef there is no beef here no beef with a falco this is pure 100 percent admiration and and love this yeah. is, for this the man. Is, this is the note that I have written down. Uh, <laughs> to quote my favorite line from one of my favorite British TV comedies, The Mighty Boosh, elements of the past and elements of the future combining together to make something not quite as good as either. <laughs> <laughs> this song is so silly, but it never yeah. quite gets to the point where it's in that songs that I never have to hear again, mostly because it's in German. Right. Yeah. If, it, if, if you have you read the English translation? Oh, of yeah. It? it talks about how uh, he how, was a punk, but he, he was a punk and he had all the ladies on his arms. And that's why he was broke all the time. <laughs> Basically living that rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> and, and, and it's based off of the movie Amadeus, by the way. That's, it is. That was the inspiration was was the movie Amadeus with oh. Tom Olson. OK. F. Murray Abram, not any sort of knowledge that Falco had of, of Amadeus. And life. was he not Viennese? I thought Falco was uh, German. He's German. I, I think he is. Yeah. Viennese. Okay. But it's such a, it's, it's such a catchy song and it's such a dumb song. And yeah. the video is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. With these guys in like motorcycle outfits coming in mm-hmm. yeah. and like carrying Falco off. It's mm-hmm. so stupid. I just, just the way he says, up a dick. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's the only part you know. Yeah, yeah. Because it's all I should buy. Don't rock me on the superstar. Austrian. He's Austrian. Sorry. Okay. Oh, okay. It's, it's that yeah. moment. It's that moment when you don't quite have this the term in your native language. You're sitting there, and it's like it's like being at work and hearing a, a few speak, people speak and like. Um, uh, uh, Portuguese. There's a couple of Portuguese ladies at work, mm-hmm. and then you hear the just refrigerator, right? Just right in the middle, and it just it just jumps out. I used to watch soccer, and every once in a while, you, or actually, I, I used to every once in a while, you'd have to watch like an auto race. Yeah. They'd only have it on the Spanish channel, and here, Al Unser Junior. There's always like just stuck out. I do appreciate that the Germans have a word for laughing at the that the failures of others. But not for superstar. Yeah, that's how, how much Schaden more German Freud, can we? you get? <laughs> that uh, I do think there was a lot of audacity in that song because not that Amadeus hadn't already been a popular film in right. which it was positioning uh, Mozart as a celebrity that, that we could make comparisons to. It was Mo- Mozart mania. Mozart mania. Not quite listomania, but yeah, no, the ballpark. Was, yeah, yeah, I have that down here too. Do you? I, almost, wow. I almost talked about Phoenix's entire oh. album, uh, 1901, or no, uh, Listomania. Right. 
Um, I think of that was, Roger Daltrey film or something. Yeah, there was a, uh, what's his name? The guy who did Ken Tommy. Russell. Ken Russell, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but then, then to. It's awful, but also way, rap. It. Doesn't Falco kind of rap in the song? The whole thing's it, kind of rap. It's his, his idea of rap. Yeah. The whole thing's kind of rap, yeah. So, in a way, like, only a nut from another country could, could <laughs> go in and do something like that and pull it off with such audacity. So, that's off to you. Uh, I do like that it becomes just, it's just like this. This little mini Wikipedia article, yeah, on Amadeus that you yeah, can just you right. get through it in like three and a half minutes. You're just like, okay, what do I need? Five minutes long. What do I need to know about uh, yeah. Amadeus? Let's put on the song. And in 1784, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart becomes a Freemason. <laughs> who cares? Who cares? Who cares? You joined the Shriners. Who cares? <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow, cool. I think I did a book report in college German class on the, on this. <laughs> it was a fledgling attempt to, to pass class. Uh, Winfield. My last choice is LCD Sound Systems song Daft Punk is playing at my house from their 2002 self-titled album. And this is a song where uh, uh, the lead... Wait, so List Mania is your third? No, no, no. That I was... Okay. No, I was just talking about okay. how that was... Um, okay. I, just, I had that written down. He was trying to get notes. bonus points. Okay. I'm Richard Manfredi bonus points. Oh, I, so we were just confirming. You picked Falco, Rocky Mantem. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay, yes. okay. Sorry. LCD Sound System. Uh, James Murphy has this supposed imagining song of this kid that saves up all his money to book techno punk band, techno electronic band, uh, Daft Punk, to go oh, play wow. his little house party. And it's all about how they're setting up for this band to come over, and they're moving all of the uh, chairs and sofas and things to the garage, and they're getting their friend Sarah, they're getting her girlfriend to come work the door to take tickets, and they're getting all the all the beer in place mm -hmm. for this band that nobody knows who they are. <laughs> oh, wow. But it's just, it, it is the song to kind of put LCD sound system uh -huh. on the map as uh, a very interesting band. And uh, this, but I think it's basically built on the name checking of another band. I mean, for that, for this to be their first single and their first big hit yeah, and it to have the name of, a, of another very popular, you know, techno band, electronic band in their title i think is a little ballsy yeah but i like that it speaks to um ultimately the you know kind of ending or the punchline of it is that nobody knows who this band is <laughs> right that are coming to play it play it. this guy that he thinks is the most interesting influential or important band that he's having over for a house party and like the people there are like i don't i don't, I don't care. know who this is but that i think that also speaks to um kind of james murphy the lead singers uh he has a song, uh, is it called I Was There? i got to think of the name of it. Where he sits there and he's name-checking all these different bands and all these different, uh, like, I was there for this. I was there for this. I was there for CBGBs. Yeah. I was there for this band. He's kind of running down, sorry for the burp, right in the microphone. He's just <laughs> running down the list of all these things that he was there for, that he was so cool, and he was in that scene, and I was there before you. And I think, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll find the name of the actual uh, song itself. Daft Punk is playing at my house. That's the that's, that's the, name the, of the one you were doing. Okay. Yeah, um, but I think that there is a music elitism about him, right? That I think really speaks to the song having Daft Punk in their title. Mm -hmm. Are we listening to the song? No. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. When uh, Manfredi. All right, Jeff. Yes, sir. When I look in your eyes. Well, look out into your face. You know what I see? 
Elvis. A little bit of Elvis. Elvis is everywhere. Elvis man. is everywhere. <laughs> the classic song by the classic was, duo. Was open. <laughs> the, the classic duo of uh, Mojo Nixon. Yeah. And Don't forget about Skid Roper. Okay. Yeah. Um, just an insane song about about one man's quite possibly psycho, <laughs> psychotic uh, love yeah. for Elvis Presley. <laughs> We know where he isn't, too, later on. <laughs> right. <tells> him, <laughs> and nobody loves boats. Boats. Elvis needs boats. <laughs> it's just every part of this song makes me crack up. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the part where he claims that Michael J. Fox is the anti-Elvis. Um, when he talks about Joan Rivers having just a little bit of Elvis. Yeah. She's trying to get trying out, to get man. Out. <laughs> she's trying to get out. Um, With Sting, he, he indicts Sting at some point, too. So there's no Elvis in Sting or something no, like that? No, maybe that's like another live version or something like that but but yeah it's it's just there are so many songs i mean elvis is so ripe for this sort of song and it's like you can't tell whether or not mojo nixon is is serious about this at all or not whether it's a true love of elvis or if he's making fun of people who are obsessed with elvis yeah or if he's actually one of those people who are obsessed obsessed with Mm -hmm. elvis you don't really know it almost speaks to the ubiquity of like the Beatles and Elvis and I guess later on Michael Jackson. They almost became part of the fabric of popular music, not just as an artist. Or so. just popular culture, yeah. full stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not even just I mean transcending music, yeah. let's call it that. Yeah. And for some reason, I, I remember the mid-80s being a particularly... Did that seem like that was a time when, when Elvis made a comeback? Yeah. Like, at some point, like, in the mid-'80s, everyone got interested in Elvis again. Mm -hmm. I think that there was definitely a tabloid aspect of Elvis still being alive. As we've discussed. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe he... When did Elvis die? 77? Or 79. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe four or five years is when, like, eh, maybe he's still alive. Maybe that's when that the mythology starts to travel around or whatever. That's true. Who built the pyramids? Elvis. Who built Stonehenge? Elvis. <laughs> uh, it's just such a stupid song. I, 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 I don't even know how to justify it other than, other than to say that it's one of the dumbest incredible songs yeah. I've ever heard. It almost seems like he was, his, just his name, Mojo Nixon, means that he's, he's kind of deconstructing pop culture a little bit. Right, yeah. There. Uh, but... Uh, I mean, it's it, it's right up there with uh, Debbie Gibson is pregnant with my two-headed love child for my favorite. Yeah. That and then his cover of Girlfriend in a Coma. Mm-hmm. Which, oh, he does? Yeah. Oh, okay. And he, he basically at the end, the whole core, the, the, the outro is him just screaming, I'm Mojo Nixon, I'm the anti-Morrissey. That's funny. Which is pretty accurate, I think. Yeah. It almost seems like, I don't know what, Morrissey had a little bit of his kind of own L rockabilly resurgence. I remember he came on SNL with a kind of a rockabilly look at some yeah, point. Yeah, he always had that. Well, he always had the pompadour. Yeah, the pompadour going on. Uh, yeah, after 1991 or so, uh, one of the guys from uh, the Polecats, mm-hmm. uh, I can't think of his name right now, uh, kind of left the Polecats and started playing with Morrissey. And so like from like 1990, 91 on, you start seeing like his entire road band is all guys with yeah. like big pompadours and big sideburns. Yeah. I mean, Morrissey, too, has always been a guy with a big uh-huh. pompadour and big sideburns. But, like, um, uh, Alan Alan White? No, I'll think about it. Was it Slim? Boz, Boz Borer was, like, uh-huh. the lead guitarist. He might have been the singer. I think he was the lead guitarist for the Polecats. Uh, you might know the song, mm. um, Make a Circuit with Me. Um, and he's been, like, Morrissey's 
lead guitarist. Yeah. Like the music guy. He's music the guy, guy yeah. ever since. Well, for like Johnny had that twang. You know, there's a lot of twang in the Johnny Marr. I, mean, I guess that's reverb or something like that. A lot of jangling. Yeah. yeah. A lot of jangle going on. I, I w- I, I, there was an interview with Lee Rocker from Stray Cats who was talking about the Stray Cats being able to blend in in way in s- with certain groups that others couldn't like uh in the the metal guys and the punk guys all still like the stray cats like he they would hang out with van halen then they'd go hang out with social distortion mm. then they would hang out with uh when pil came mm-hmm. around you know so they had this cred because they weren't in anybody's turf really because they were kind of a nostalgia. They're like universalists. Yeah. Every, everyone's down with them. Yeah. Oh, you know them? Cool. When you show up in the rusty 57 Chevy, even the guy with the Porsche knows that you're not his competition or anything <laughs> like that. So they didn't have any really haters. So I could see why Elvis had this kind of, you know, that, that, that rockabilly. Yeah, the rockabilly part of that thing. Just to, just to wrap up something, just to close a loop here. Yeah. I believe you're thinking about not Sting, but Billy Idol. Billy Idol. And his fool lip. Okay. Yeah, that that's cool that's, that's what that's right. He says, uh, "Whatever, get your lip too." Not that fool, Billy <laughs> Idol lip either. Oh, that's hilarious. He says, "Peoples, peoples, everybody, everybody got to sing." All right, so that wraps it up. Am I right? Am I right? When I'm right, I'm right. This has been the Mount Rushmore of the winning choice was Buddy Holly by Weezer. No, it wasn't. That was the obvious choice, right? Okay, we won't say that. Um, so uh, let's go and pick some things. Uh, why don't we pick, since it was uh, the through line of absolutely every episode of the Mount Rushmore is the replacements. <laughs> there is. Well, that and we're, the, oh, we're, we're still the Paul Simon podcast of record. That's right. We are. We are. Um, Paulcast. Oh, God. Knock on wood. None of the people we mentioned today who are still oh alive. God. Somebody's going to die. Pass away. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. God. Oh, God. A little bit of Oh, he's dead already. Okay, good. Okay, um, so let's go with the Mats and Alex Chilton. And then let's go with um, Sleater Kenny. I want to be your Joey Ramone because that's pretty kick-ass. And we're woke bros if we choose that. We're to- totes woke bros. Um, let's go with Falco, Rock Me Amadeus. So that's that's one for each of you, yeah. right? Okay, Three okay. points for each of us, technically. Okay, and um, we got to go with... Uh, Elvis is everywhere. Uh, Mojo Nixon. Is that it? That's it. This has been. That's a wrap. Guys, this has been. Um, hey, isn't WTF by Mark Marin a great podcast? <laughs> <laughs> what about my favorite murder? <laughs> How about Joe Rogan? <laughs> And what about Adam Carolla? The entire suite of podcasts on NPR. NPR. That doesn't quite count like podcasts because it's on the radio and you're just putting it out in a podcast format, but whatever, we'll take it. That's right. Gimlet Media. (laughs) Come on, man, Freddie. I'm not. I'm not. You're not falling for a tribute to podcasts. Okay. Serial. 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 Okay, this has been the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I'm always Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. Yay. (laughs) 